Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Praise the Lord. So um, today we continue a series, uh, an infinite series, <laughs> Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think this is the third installment of maybe 15 more installments. We'll see how long we go. Um, there's just so much to cover. Um, and when I get into each one of them, I was like, oh, I just don't have time. This is a two-part series right in and of itself. Um, but we're going to smash it into one. Um, this is uh, Matthew 5. I'm going to be starting at 13 and going through, I think, 16. But this talks about salt and light. So this is Christian influence and leadership, bright and salty Christians. That's what we're going to be, bright and salty Christians. Uh, Matthew 5:13 reads, you are the salt of the earth. See how that is a declarative statement. Uh, not you will be. Not you're at the beginning of becoming salt. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are Again, a declarative statement, the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Bright and salty Christians. That's what we are. So we started with, uh, we actually started with, uh, Matthew 6, talking about uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we kind of started in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Then we went back and did an overview and be, we did the Beatitudes, uh, which is a changing a character quality, changing our heart. So for us to be as the Beatitudes require us to be, it requires a heart change. And Jesus was our example for that. Um, and then he transitions from the Beatitudes, so he transitions from the heart change, and at the end of the Beatitudes, if you read, I think, in verses, um, let me see where that is, uh, 11, 12, with 12, it talks about being persecuted. It says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, and blessed are you when you revile and pers- when, when they revile and persecute you. So that's 11 and then 12. Um, so it talks, goes into persecution, talks about persecution at the end of the Beatitudes. He immediately talks about being salt and light to the earth, right? So he's saying the people who persecute you, now I want you to be salt and light to them. Like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> These are the people who, are, who revile me and want to kill me and want me destroyed. And he transitions to... You are to have influence and leadership in the earth, in the world. The very people who seek to destroy you, I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light to them. So it transitions to um, you can't write off the world. That's what it's saying. You can't write off the world. If, and when they persecute you at the end of the Beatitudes, it would be easy for us to say, all right, we're done with the world. We're just going to enclose ourselves in our little churches and be okay by ourselves, within ourselves, right? That's not what <laughs> he wants us to do. He says you, you have to engage the world. So we're going to look at salt and light. So 
Matthew 5, 13 through 16 is the basic theme. Christians are meant to be different from the world. Um, no, again, the Beatitudes deals with character, and then he immediately focuses on salt and light section that focuses on Christian influence and leadership. Our relationship with Christ cannot be removed from our day-to-day lives. And that's what he's saying. Our relationship with Christ cannot be removed from our day-to-day lives. It's not something that we compartmentalize and say, I'm a Christian on Sunday, and then the rest of the week I live like a uh, heathen. <laughs> and then Sunday, Saturday night around 11.30, I get my life together, and then on Sunday I'm good, and I'll come back to church on Sunday morning. That's not how it meant to be. Uh, he declared that you are the salt of the earth. Uh, during this time, salt was valuable. It was very precious. It's not something that just was used that we use every day in everyone's household to sprinkle on their food. Um, but it was a precious commodity. People who owned salt fields were probably some of the wealthiest people in that time because um, salt was a preservative. They used when they didn't have refrigeration at that time, so they used salt to preserve meat so that it wouldn't go rotten. See what I said? <laughs> they used salt to preserve meat so that it wouldn't go rotten. We are the salt of the earth. Uh, salt is valuable and precious. Uh, we cannot live without salt. Salt keeps our electrolytes in balance and helps us regulate insulin and blood pressure. Salt keeps the body healthy. We need it. We have to have it, even though it's in moderation. Because sometimes too much salt can be problematic. <laughs> so we want to have it in moderation. Salt figuratively means preserving and seasoning. Uh, appointed uh, to be the means of preventing or curing the growth of that corruption that prevails in the world, the seasoning of men's minds with wisdom and grace. We are to preserve the earth. The earth is here, still here, because of the Christians. And our preservative nature in that we are have Christ in us, and Christ sees that and says, I will not destroy the earth, I will preserve it because my children are there. You get it? <laughs> so we are... <laughs> We are here to preserve the earth. The world is in moral decay, as in that meat that would go rotten if you don't pack it with salt. And so we, as Christians, are the salt of the world. Christians act as salt in the world. Salt cleanses. Salt. Uh, we live pure lives in the world. Salt preserves. We stand up for what is right. Salt flavors. We attract people to Christ. We impart, man, we impart to mankind the influences required for a life of devotion to God. So again, this is in correlation to the Beatitudes. So you have to have the Beatitudes first, the heart change, before we can do this. Because you may be saying this and saying, well, I'm not these things. Well, you should be. <laughs> because that's what he wants us to be. And that's what he's called us to be. And that's what we're seeking towards. But he's already declared that you are the salt of the earth. Um, uh, they needed a way to keep food from uh, safe for bacteria and decay. It also aided in fighting infections and open wounds. So salt was uh, a need for survival and aiding in infections. Uh, since salt was needed for survival in ancient times, merchants would sell it. But dishonest merchants would add fillers or impurities to the salt. They would increase the volume of the salt without actually adding more real salt. So, of course, that, you know, people do that. Making the person who buys the salt pay more but not get the real deal that they were expecting. Or not getting as much as they really expected. And since the fillers were added to the salt 
was no longer good. So once they got the salt and they thought they had maybe really 20 pounds of salt when they actually they had 10 and they had some fillers in there, um, then they realized, hey, this is not really as much as I thought and there's some ad- things added to it. And they could not separate the, those things from salt. You know, it was just there at that point. And so it was no longer useful to preserve or bring healing or bring flavor. And so what they would do is cast that salt out on the ground to be trampled on. As in the word said uh, in, in Matthew 5 and 14 or 13 says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It looked like salt. And from a distance, people thought it might have been salt. But when they came close up and then inspected, it was like, oh, this isn't real salt. Uh, this has some fillers to it. This has some things added to it. And so now it's not really useful. Are we the church adding things to us to make us not as useful? Are we doing things that we shouldn't be doing? Are we in organizations that we shouldn't be in? Are we standing for things that we shouldn't be standing for in the name of Christ? Christ never said that we should stand for it. And now we're tainted. And so we may look like salt, but upon close inspection, people realize, oh, it's just fillers. It's not really salt at all. I thought they had some healing power. I thought they had some love. I thought they had some grace. But I realize they're just worthless as just as everything else in the world and to be used to be trampled upon. Matthew Henry Concise Commentary says, and I'll read this, Yet uh, you are the salt of the earth, mankind, lying in ignorance and wickedness, whereas a vast heat ready to petrify and decay. But Christ sent forth his disciples, that's us, by their lives and doctrines to season it with knowledge and grace. If they are not so much as they should be, they are as salt that has lost its savor. If a man can take up the profession of Christ and yet remain graceless, no other doctrine, no other means can make him profitable. So you can have all this Christ and you don't have love. You can't show grace. Then you're not profitable. Your salt that's lost its savor. Barnes, and Barnes notes that the Bible says salt renders food pleasant and palatable and preserves for putrefaction, preserves from putrefaction. Some Christians, by their lives and instructions, are to keep the world and the entire moral corruption from being. By bringing down the blessings of God in answer to their prayers and by their influence and example, they save the world from universal vice and crime. Are you spreading grace in your workplace? Are you the salt in your neighborhood? Are you known for your love for others? You don't have to answer that. It's rhetorical. We as Christians are helping the world become healthy and whole by preaching the gospel, praying and leading the lost to salvation, and the list goes on. Our presence in this earth makes a difference. Is your presence making a difference in the earth, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community? Does the school system say, oh, I don't know about all these other churches, but Cornerstone, now that's a good church. They're They're working to to help people, they're working to love people, they're open to 
to uh, showing the grace and mercy of God to everyone. Is that what is that what they're saying about us, about us individually, about us corporately? Are they saying we need that church? Some of these other churches we don't need, but we need that church because they are making a difference. They're working and they're showing God's grace. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast and a man said uh, it was a church in uh, Jerusalem. And it was in an area where there was a lot of Orthodox Jews. And it was the church was right beside a Jewish synagogue or something. And the leader of that synagogue went over to the pastor of the church and said, I'm trying my best to hate you. <laughs> I'm trying my best to dislike you, but you're doing so much good in the community. You're helping to feed the poor. You're in the schools helping young children. You're in. You're helping young men and women become good leaders within our community. I can't find any wrong in you, and I want so bad to find some bad and hate you. Is that our testimony? That someone would say, I'm looking for bad things to say about you, but I can't because you're you're so full of grace and mercy. and You're so full of love that I can't find anything to dislike you about. And some people would say, I'll just make some things up. <laughs> and they may do that, uh, but they can't find anything on you. Warning, when salt loses its saltiness becomes compromised. The church loses its reputation. Um, sometimes people experience bad things due to the church, and the church loses its mission. No longer good for anything. We forget why we're here. Um, you know, this may sound overtly political, but it's not really. It's not. Uh, but we have, the church, I think, have adopted some ideas politically that are dangerous. Um, and have been co-opted by certain political parties. Um, that's that's not that's not the church. <laughs> we should be setting the standard, not the political parties telling us what to do. We should be telling them what to do. We should be the go-to for all political parties to say, "Hey, hey, what what should we do as leaders in this community?" We should be the one. We should be the standard bearers, and this goes into being the light of the world. Because when we lose our reputation, because we've co-opted and been put with other things that don't really matter and it's not <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> then uh, our reputation gets torn down and we lose our saltiness. And we have to be careful about losing our saltiness, because. He goes on and says, you are the light of the world. So with your Christian influence, your saltiness, I'm also giving you to be an example. Because if I'm putting you on a hill, a city on the hill, right, so everyone can see and look at you, then you are going to be an example. People are going to watch you. And that's what, that's what he's there for. He wants people to watch you to see the love that you're showing, right? So the light of the world witnesses, example, our leadership verses 14 through 16, Jesus' declaration. He declares again, not saying that you will be the light or you are becoming the light. He said you are the light of the world. Jesus is the true light. We reflect his light in verse John 8 and 12 and then also in Ephesians 5. And let's look at Ephesians because Ephesians is good. Uh, 5, 8 through 16, some good stuff there. It says, 
For though once your heart was full of darkness, now it is full of light from the Lord. And your behavior should show it. That's good stuff. In Galatians, he's getting right to your conduct should show the interchange of the light that you're reflecting, right? Those Beatitudes, if, if the Holy Spirit is in you, if the light is in you, then your actions should reflect that. It says, because of, this, because of this light within you, you should do only what is good and right and true. Learn as you go along what pleases the Lord. So as we're going along, we're going to learn what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless pleasures of evil and darkness. It's worthless. But instead, rebuke and expose them. It would be shameful even to mention here these pleasures of darkness that the ungodly do. But when you expose them, the light shines in upon their sins and shows it up. And when they see how wrong they really are, some of them may even become children of light. That is why God says in the scriptures, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fools. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to find out and do whatever the Lord wants you to. That's good stuff, y'all. The light is in us. And if the light, if we're reflecting that light, then our conduct is changed. And we're not acting thoughtlessly. We're not acting foolishly. We're not acting on our own accord, but we're acting according to the Holy Spirit that is in us. And then that means that we will do things differently than the world. And the world will see that and say, hey, look, he's not trying to retaliate. He's trying to love. They're not trying to uh, gossip or point out someone's bad behavior or they're trying to win them over in love. That's, That's the point of it to love Um, the world is in darkness it doesn't know the way god acts and it doesn't know god's ways and we should be that example christians act as light in the world the light shines we stand out as followers of jesus christ we illuminate our workplaces our neighborhoods our communities uh, wherever we are we should look and sound differently Um, what kind of light are you are you a strobe light flashing on and off you're annoying people. <laughs> Some people can't even be around you. They go into a seizure like, oh, my God, this is just too much. <laughs> Are you a dimmer switch? You go on and off depending on who you're around. You're lighter when you're on Sundays or when it gets close to Sundays, and then by Wednesday you're dim. We can't see your light. Uh, Are you a spotlight? You're just blinding people with your self-righteousness just in their eyes and in their face with your bright light all the time pointing out how wrong they are and what they should be doing? Or are you a light on a lamppost? Back then they had a light, and sometimes they may have had some, um, some heat source, but most of the time it was a candle, and it was putting on a candle scan to light the whole room. So, again, you didn't put the candle underneath the bed or underneath the bowl. You put it up so that it could illuminate the whole area, right, so that everyone got the benefit from the light. You weren't stingy about your light and try to cover it and say, this light is just for me. I'm only going to show it because it's in my house and I don't want anyone else to see it and I only show it at church and it's my light. No, that's not the point of the light. (laughs) You put it up, you're not bragging or boastful about it, about you, but you're bragging or boastful about the light because you're reflecting of Christ. 
And so your, your bragging and boasting is only about Christ and your Father and not about you. And what are, so that, that's what we should be. We should be that example that on a candle stand and that we're illuminating a whole area, our area, our neighborhood, our workplaces, our communities. We are light. People know that I can go, to, go for prayer at Sister So-and-So House down the street because she's a light in my community. I know that I can ask Brother So-and-So to help me out because he's a light in our community and he loves people. Our reminder of this just this morning, um, so I was backing out my driveway. And this is how quickly the enemy can kind of like get you from zero to 60 in no time over nothing whatsoever. Um, so I was getting to back out my driveway because I'm going to the store to get some coffee. Got to have it. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> And there were two older ladies who walked in my community. Now, let me tell you, my community has sidewalks on both sides of the road, but no one uses a sidewalk. I don't understand why that's the case. Everyone walks in the street as if there's no sidewalks. And people want sidewalks in their neighborhoods, but my people choose to live, walk in the street. I don't know why. So anyway, <laughs> as I was backing out, I saw them walking, so I stopped. And I heard the lady say, uh, I wish you would wait for us to pass. I don't think she knew that my windows were down. And so I heard her, and I was like, what does she mean? She's the one in the street. So I was like going off in my head. Then I had to realize, okay, it's Sunday, and you're getting ready to preach, and so you shouldn't be having <laughs> So don't get into an argument with this lady. I didn't say anything to her. So I waited until they passed, because I was going to do that anyway. But the Lord reminded me, said, see how quickly the enemy can get you caught up in something so simple, which I was going to do anyway. I was going to wait until they passed. But because she said something, it angered me. And so I was like, in my mind, like, who does she think she is? She's walking in the street anyway. She should be on the sidewalk. And it's like, wait a minute. It's not that serious. <laughs> you were going to wait anyway. Uh, but it just shows how quickly the enemy can get us off track and get us from zero to 60 and forgetting about light, forgetting about <laughs> salt. <laughs> None of that was in my mind. It was just whatever. And that's what, that's what he does. That's how he gets us off. So I don't know if I was a strobe light, a dimmer switch, or I wasn't blinding her with self-righteousness. My light was not on at all uh, in that moment. But that's how it happens. The power of influence. So we're going to look quickly in Deuteronomy, and we're going to be done. Um, Deuteronomy has some good stuff so about influence, and so we're going to look at that uh, quickly. Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 18. Uh, and so we're going to glean from... This influence, I'm going to flip it a little bit. Uh, so here is uh, rules for the children of Israel uh, about what they should do when they went into cities or when they encountered people serving other gods. And so we start at verse 6, uh, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, verse 6. If your very own brother, your son or your daughter or the wife you love, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let's go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the people around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or seal them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the fifth, the first, and putting them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death. Then your hands, of, then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death. 
because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God and brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel would hear and be afraid, and no one among you would do such an evil thing again. What? <laughs> God ain't no joke, y'all. <laughs> He's like, kill your own brother, son, daughter, wife, if they try to entice you from to worship another god. That's what he said. Did y'all read that? That's what he said. Okay. All right. If you hear it is said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in. All right. He's giving you Lynchburg to live in. That troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray saying, let's go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and if it be proved that this detestable, detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put the sword who of all, uh, put the sword to all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. You are to gather all the plunder of the town in the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder. As a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. The town is to remain in ruin forever, never to be rebuilt, and none of the condemned things are to be found in your hands. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger, will show you mercy, and will have compassion on you. He will increase your numbers as he promised an oath to your ancestors because you obey the Lord your God and keeping all his commands that I'm giving you today doing what is right in his eyes kill everybody <laughs> destroy everybody and everyone in it that's what he said because their influence over the children of Israel he said I I do not I so don't want you to be influenced by the world that I want you to destroy everything that tries to influence you to do wrong Everything. God wants his people of Israel to be holy, his people, no matter the cost. The temptation to turn away from him must be obliterated, even if that temptation involves one's dearest family members. No city of Israel can tolerate even a hint of service of other gods, least the idea become popular, as God established in Deuteronomy 13. His point for Israel is to fear him and not allow wickedness to continue in the land. The sad reality is that Israel did not carry out these commands. <laughs> they went into these cities and they did as these foreigners did. And they worshiped other gods. And sometimes it, they would be okay for a little while. And then it wouldn't be years later that they would be, have forgotten God and all that he had done. Uh, we are under a new covenant. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> under better promises. With better witnesses, uh, we have received Jesus as our superior to theirs. His covenant is superior than the old. Um, we are not to overcome evil with evil, Romans twelve twenty one. On the contrary, if, if the enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we strive to do good for all men, even those who are our enemies. 
Uh, again, this requires a heart change. This requires a beatitude. Um, if there are Christians in your midst who go after the world and no longer God, we are to disassociate from them, but by no means kill them. Your boasting is no good. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leaven the whole batch of dough? So it just requires a little bit, you know. It just requires mustard seed faith. It just requires a little bit of your grace, a little bit of your mercy in an area to make a change and that it, it may infiltrate that whole area. And, and this is important because so if we see how God sees influence for his children, he doesn't want us to be influenced by the world, but he says we should be salt and we should be light to the, to the world. That means he wants us to influence the world. And in the same way that he does not want the world to influence us, we should be more so influencing the world. And I think it has become um, the opposite, <laughs> right? That the world has so infiltrated and influenced the church that we don't know what the church is sometimes. We're seeking the world and we're looking at the world to see what we should be doing in the church when we should be calling the shots in the church. We are the light. We are the salt. Not the world. He called us the light, right? He didn't say, the world, you are the light. He did not say that. <laughs> he said, you are the light. You are my disciples. You're supposed to go out and be the example. You are the salt. You're supposed to win your community by your acts and your good deeds and let other men see that. Um, and these other gods are everywhere. <laughs> now, these are not gods that they had maybe in uh, Israel's time or in the time of Deuteronomy. Um, but people are worshiped with money, celebrity. People worship America, individualism, naturalism, sports, sex, comfort, happiness, all sorts of idols. People within our own family, even our own children, may be worshiping some idols that we don't want or should not have. And we must tell them, hey, I'm going to love you to light. <laughs> I'm going to let the love of God shine in me so bright that you are so attracted to that love that you're going, you say, i got to have what he has. I can't go without it, man. You're, no matter in the face of adversity, your Christ is with you. He's in you, and you're showing the light of God wherever you are. The positive value of the power of influence is that uh, we can influence the world for good. That we can be and we are the salt of the light, salt of the world, earth and light of the world. Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says, you, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Our influence should be shown as in uh, the scripture says, in verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good deeds. See your good deeds. It was one of the few times that 
that good deeds are actually <laughs> important because a lot of times the word talks about your inner man and the character and what he wants you to be doing inside. And now we are getting into acts here, what, what, what conduct looks like. And that conduct is, is so great that they will see what you're doing and they have no choice but to say, hey, that's God. There's no way that they can, in the face of adversity, in the face of all the trouble, still um, be glorifying God, still have grace to give, still have love to show. That is God. And they are going to want that. The power of influence is too strong for us to ignore. Let's use it wisely. Three points of distinction, and then I'm done. And we're close for the day. Um, we are salt and light. The world is rotting and in darkness. We, if we are like the world, what use are we? If we are like the world, what use are we? On the hillside, speaking to several hundred people. This again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So the third, the second point is Jesus was on the hillside speaking to several hundred people, and he says, "You are the salt <laughs> of the earth and the light of the world." Jesus had a big vision on that hillside, and he gives us that job to do. So even it says, I looked it up. It, it might have been several hundred to maybe a thousand people on that hillside, but it still wasn't enough to Jesus proclaim that you are. The salt of the earth. You say that, saying it just, just to this room here. You are the salt of the earth. That means you can make a difference in the earth. And he said it to that several hundred to a thousand people maybe. And they can impact the world by being the salt of the earth. They can impact the world by being the light of the world. And he gave that job to his disciples, which are us. Jesus did not, and the third thing is Jesus did not speak how we begin as disciples but how we live out once we are disciples. Interchange of the Beatitudes. That means, again, he declared that you are, you are the salt, you are the light. And then I, this fourth thing, I didn't bring it out earlier, but um, in uh, Matthew, it talks about um, Matthew 15, verse 5, 15. It says, neither do people light up a lamp and put it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to Everyone in the house. Start in your house. Let your light shine in your house. So many times um, we live a different life outside of our house. (laughs) And that influence and that light should be shown first in our homes. Let that be the first witness. Let it be the first place where we show our light. And everyone in the house will, will be influenced. And sometimes that can, that everyone in the house can also be the sphere of influence. Where, wherever your, your power is, wherever you have that influence is. Let your light shine there. Your sphere, your community, your social clubs that you may be a part of. Shine your light there so that people will see it. See his good works and glorify him. And stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you 
and give you peace.